0: what's up everybody welcome to the pilot boys podcast episode 101 today v and i are going to talk a little college football with the very famous now zach smith for getting all of his betting picks right basically all season then we're going to go into a deep dive where we talk about a recent post from one of our favorite thinkers naval and how that's going to affect your life stay tuned
1: Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And
2: we're back with the college football sprint with the hottest college football sports handicapper in the business right now coach Zach Smith you're on fire man you're predicting every upset you're calling every game pretty much right you would think that you coached football or something right
3: and you would think that it, it always would work this way right but for some reason um even in the last you know this is what my third season doing this You know, the previous two seasons, like crazy stuff happens and you end up being wrong. Kind of like you look at the Wisconsin-Notre Dame game. Like I picked Wisconsin to beat Notre Dame. They're a better football team than Notre Dame. But Graham Mertz turns the ball over five times. And it's like, all right, I can't handicap for some kid like throwing the game. Like I can't predict (laughs) that. You know what I mean? He hasn't been like reckless with the ball ever. And in that game, he decided just to hand it to him like a hundred (laughs) times.
2: It was kind of like Joe Burrow last week throwing three straight interceptions.
3: Right. Right. I mean, if you watch the end of that Wisconsin-Notre Dame game, it was insane. Wisconsin's yeah, was up 13-10 yeah. in the fourth quarter. <clears throat> Notre Dame returns the kick for a touchdown. Wisconsin throws like – he throws three picks in a row. Two of them were pick sixes, and you're like, what just happened? It's it was crazy. a close game, and Wisconsin was winning like a minute ago.
2: It was crazy. It was crazy. a crazy, crazy game. Right crazy game.
3: But So that, that's my loss right now. That that's my. I think that's my only loss this year.
2: Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it's been, that's It's crazy. Been,
3: it's been fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Speaking of not losing, uh, we uh, let's start off by talking about our favorite team, the Buckeyes. Absolutely. Um, your guys' thoughts on on the game. Obviously, it's Akron. Everything we comes with a grain of salt.
0: we talk about Stroud before we even jump into Akron because he didn't play. And we were talking about the shoulder last week.
2: That was Zach. That was all Zach. That was all you (laughs) throwing you under the bus.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think it was, I I still think it served a purpose, right? I I still think, I think it was the perfect opportunity to kind of tell CJ to calm down and stop complaining about his shoulder, sit out. It wasn't going to matter. Akron's absolutely awful. One of the worst teams in college football. And, it, you know, it didn't create much of a controversy or anything like that because it was so limited on what Kyle McCord did and even Jack Miller when he got in the game. Um, You know, they made some okay throws. But to be honest, you know, you watch C.J. Stroud's lowlights from the first three games, and the majority of his lowlights were, and I think I talked about this last week, but they were – you know, opponent independent, right? It didn't matter who the opponent was. He had time in the pocket and yeah. no one was pressuring him and the receivers open. So it's not like their blanket covered covered by some great corner. And I mean, it's literally just executing a throw to an open guy. So it could be versus a scout team. It didn't matter. He was making some bad throws. And I guess that's what you didn't see from Kyle McCord and, uh, and Jack Miller is you didn't see those errant throws. Now, Kyle McCord's stat line looks pretty had two touchdown passes. One of them was a, a push sweep, so he didn't do anything. And yeah. the other one was a deep ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba where he completely missed the throw. It was a bad throw. <laughs> and and the kid made a great catch, and it, it was a, just a bad opponent. So you see this stuff, and you're like, all right, we didn't really learn much. Didn't Nothing really happened. It's kind of just like a blah game, you know?
2: Yeah, we just played a bad team.
3: Right? You know,
0: what I did notice was that the sweeps and, like, all the, all the different wide receiver run actions we ran where the hell was that? The rest of the you know the first few games where we might have needed a little bit of out of the box play calling to help us get those Ws.
3: Yeah, it's funny cuz I I never would have pegged Ryan Day for for lacking this in his offensive weaponry, but I mean he certainly has a ton and I don't know that he necessarily I mean I I do think he needs it, but but there's been a lack of a perimeter run game uh from Ryan's offense the last 2 years that that I think could make it more dynamic. Now they they rely on like a stretch play which I guess can get outside kind of, but there's just not a lot of quick touches outside outside of some bubble screens to receivers where you get guys in space. So I think that's something that they could you know do a little more of or find a way to get Travion Henderson in space outside. but yeah to your I mean to your point, I, I think they do a decent job of, of getting the ball on the perimeter via the stretch kind of interior outside runs if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that. yeah
2: and, and and circling back to CJ Stroud, I was I was kidding, Zach. I think the point that you were
3: making is
2: stop complaining about being hurt. If you actually are hurt, then don't you're play. hurting the team. Don't yeah. play.
3: Then don't play. Right. And yeah. you know what? We better at some point see this this healthy version of you just dotting up every receiver. Because if we don't, everyone's gonna know it was just a, an excuse and you're
0: soft that is yeah. the brutal thing about sports right if you're hurt you know you either choose the player don't play if you play don't talk about being hurt If you don't play then just don't
3: talk right yeah. it's like I, I've, I've saw the quote about michael jordan and lebron james like michael jordan tried to convince you that he wasn't hurt lebron james after games tries to convince you that he was right Yeah. it's exactly. like no if you're hurt shut up like don't let people know like play yep. through it and don't make excuses like that's that's what the athlete that I grew up watching was all about. And I don't know what, what it is nowadays. It's like, my shoulders kind of hurt. That's why I can't throw. Okay, cool, man. Yeah. Go sit on the bench. Then we need yeah. someone that can throw I've
0: been, like a little, literally with the reporters, like the new generation is just very like
3: direct with you. Right. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's like you said, there's not really much analysis here and we can, we can, we can cover it. 40 rushes from Akras, 71 yards, probably under 300 yards of total offense um, for them. You know, But at the end of the day, there are games in which your defense is just so much faster that nothing they do is going to work. They weren't going to beat us on the edge. They weren't going to beat us inside. What do you do in a game like this where you have a game after another poor performance, have a game where it can look like you're masking your weaknesses because the score line says 59 seven. Oh, all is right in the world. Right. Um, but the truth is we don't know if all is right in the world or not.
3: Yeah. I mean, you, tr- you treat it what it is, right? It's like a, a preseason scrimmage against your, your threes. So it's, I mean, you can, you can see some things, you can get some things done, you can coach off of it, but ultimately you didn't really learn anything, right? You didn't find out about your players. You, nobody really took a step and, 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 you know, got more confidence because they made a big-time play against Penn State. Like, you're not going to get that out of that game. Just another chance for reps. I think uh, it's another ch- it was it was a chance for Kyle McCord and, and Jack Miller to kind of pop their cherry, right? Get in yeah. front of a crowd and play quarterback for the first time ever. Like, you don't want that to be against Penn State, and you don't know what might happen. If the shoulder's really, really hurting, then uh, they might need to be the quarterback in a big game, and, and you don't want that to be their first time playing quarterback. So I guess you got that done. That's kind of under their belt and, uh, in their pocket. So they can, they got that out of the way right now when they, if, if they have to play, they've already at least played in a game.
2: And it's also giving them an opportunity to showcase their talent if they need to transfer here sometimes. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, and it's interesting. I actually like the Miller kid. I've, I've known about him since high school. I think he's a potential kid who could transfer like Joe Burrow somewhere else. Um, and, and really do a great job uh considering his pedigree and and kind of his approach to football and and just his maturity. I think he could do well. I don't know as much about Kyle McCord I know he was a five star really highly touted qB prospect um but it's good it's good to see guys get opportunities and also it puts pressure on cj Stroud to play better when he does come back
3: yeah, there's no doubt i think the other thing that that often gets lost in, in games like this Akron game, that big picture for life are really, really cool, is the number of kids that got to go on
1: mm-hmm. the
3: field at Ohio Stadium that never will play in any other game. And I, I we, we had a kid that was a DB, uh, I think, I don't remember who we played, it doesn't matter, one of those Akron type of teams. Yeah. And for whatever reason, uh, the secondary coach didn't get him in the game, and we're at the end of the game, so I just threw him out there at receiver. This kid is bawling, crying after the game, thanking me like his dad and grandpa got to watch him run on the field. Things like that that happen in these games that people move on. They're like, well, how did Kyle McCord do? You're like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. We didn't learn anything about him. But you know what? This one walk on went in and his whole life is different now because he got to do that. It's just cool things like that that happen that you get to experience and see that fans don't really notice. But I'm telling you, there's some really cool things that went on in that game um, that that are life changing for certain kids you know, amongst the, the cool things, I don't want to be the downer podcast host, but we
0: got to talk about it. We had one piece of drama happening right before halftime. Yeah. Uh, Kevon is it Kavon? Kavon, Ke- yep. Kavon Pope uh, mm-hmm. had a little bit of a tiff because he wasn't getting the playtime he wanted. Uh, Zach, you know, our, our group text thread was, that's really where I go as my source of truth during these situations <laughs> to see what's going on. But you want to kind of give the story the context it deserves? Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, it's 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 just unfortunate. I mean, a dumbass decision by the kid. I know the kid. I recruited the kid. I mean, he's he's a good kid, he's not a bad kid. You know, you sometimes you see kids that do that, and when you're on the inside, you're like, Yeah, that, ki- that kid's kind of a shithead. Like, that's not the case with this kid. This kid's a good kid. He obviously let his emotions get the best of him, but I think he was uh he was under the impression that he was going to be in this sub package. And he went to go on the field to Roger Mitchell, t- told him no. And then they kind of, there was mass confusion. And I just looked at it and I said, man, in my career, I can't imagine that happening with my group, right? As a position coach, coach, yeah. you are the CEO of your group, right? You own and run your group. And for that to go on, I mean, that is a complete lack of leadership and lack of Uh, relationship with with your players, not only that Kayvon felt that he should do that right, leave mid play, mid quarter, take it in the locker room, tweet what he tweeted about Ohio State. Not only that part, but that you have a kid that's on the field that felt like he could decide if he was going to come out or not. It's like, whoa, whoa, who's running the show here at linebacker? Like, do we have a coach? Is he coaching them? Is he running shit like is he yep. leading them cuz they don't play like it and then that happens it's like whoo this is this is bad
2: yeah, yeah yep yep it's easy to get caught up in the superficial let me qualify this by saying the kid should not have done this no he, he hurt himself significantly he hurt his opportunity elsewhere but i think there's something deeper here than just saying hey it's a privilege to play at ohio state you should, you should, you should appreciate it because you know, Zach, as as a recruiter at a big time program, you actually recruit recruited Kayvon, so you know this. When kids come in to Ohio State as four-star, five-star projects, prospects, stars of their teams in high school, they come to Ohio State with an expectation to eventually get on the field, right? Yeah. And this is a kid that's been sitting and not getting significant playing time for four to five years now is he a fifth year senior or fourth year senior the the other side of this that i wanted to ask you about is you got to do what you got to do to recruit kids and get them to come to your program make sure you have a depth of talent in your program but i think there's a difference in between the programs and i'm not saying ohio state is one of these programs the programs that encourage their kids to do what's best for them versus telling them, hey, you got an opportunity. This is what you need to do to improve. It's a balancing act, right? Because there are kids, when especially when you're talking about four-star and five-star prospects, it's not just about the experience of playing for Ohio State. They want to play, showcase, and get the opportunity to go to the next level. And unfortunately, sometimes in programs and within positions, coaches don't tell the players the truth because they want to keep them on the roster. Now. A counter to this is what Nick Saban did with Jalen Hurts. And he was talking about last night on Monday Night Football, which was, hey, Tua's playing, but I want to help you find the the best program. I'm going to help you go and figure out which program you go to. And he actually helped him in the decision process of going to Oklahoma. And so that frustration is something that fans don't understand. It's like being in a job and you never getting the opportunity to do that job. And when that happens over years and you're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids sometimes you're going to see a displaced moment like this from a kid and we shouldn't jump on the kid the way
3: that we did yeah i mean it's kind of like the man in the arena right i mean he yep. he subjected himself to all the criticism and yep. i really don't feel bad about it because one he elected to play football at a place like ohio state where you're yep. automatically going to be in the public eye and then to not just press pause for at least five minutes, <laughs> and not yeah. grab your phone and get on fucking Twitter, like yeah, come on, man, way. you can't be that big of a dumbass. And yeah. and it was just a, the kid's not a dumbass. It was a dumbass decision, right? Yes, exactly. But I I, I still go back to that in my career that I've never even had a, a, a situation even remotely close to that. And I've had disgruntled players every year. You have disgruntled players, but yeah. there was just a, la- a level of respect for not necessarily even me but there was a level of respect for the culture in the room that you would never do that. You would never challenge the coach. You would never challenge a decision. You certainly wouldn't take that out into public. And it, it was more a Testament to the culture in your position groups room. And for this kid to just pop off like that, by the way, him and Taraja are good friends. They're both from Virginia, right? Yep. I mean, about 50 minutes away. So it's not like Taraja and him had some kind of beef. Like they're good, they're they're boys. Like this is entirely on the culture in that room. And the culture's set and driven by the position coach. So it, <laughs> it's just it's red flags galore, not only with the situation, but how the linebackers are playing. Yeah,
2: and he's you know, let's let's be frank about it. Like you said, the linebackers If we wouldn't be able to to even point the finger and think about the the room itself if they were playing well and this yeah. has been over years since we lost fickle our linebackers have not performed up to the level of their recruiting or their talent and that's to me coaching and development
3: it is, we, it is. i thought we liked the linebacker coach didn't they just switch him to defensive coordinator well see so it's it's this is the coaching cycle for you right uh al washington was up for the tennessee coordinator job you know, reportedly took the job, then changed his mind, came back. He was like a, a sought after name, a lot like you saw with Marcus Freeman, who was Luke's D coordinator. Yep. I mean, it, sometimes these, these reputations in the coaching circles, when, when jobs come open, it's more about the attractiveness of a hire than it is how good the guy is a coach. And I'm not even saying Al's not a great coach, but you know, you see these things and it's like, Oh, this guy's a hot, carry Combs is a hot name going to be this, yep. you know, he's one of the defensive guru. And you're like, no, no, he's not like, that's just what the cycle created him to be, right? And you see it, you see it on the other side. Like Tim Beck couldn't coach quarterbacks at all because yeah. Adrian Martinez wasn't any good at Nebraska. And then JT Barrett struggled. It's like, no, Tim Beck can pretty he can coach quarterbacks pretty well. You just watch NC State beat Clemson. So yeah. you get these like reputations that are just the almost media driven. And that's what happened with Al. All of a sudden he was like this hot name. You know, would they demote Kerry and promote Al to keep him? And it's like, what, what are we talking about? Is Al like The next Bill Parcells? What what are we talking about right now?
2: Yeah, and like you you just pointed out with Tim Beck, like we're not we're not gonna sit here and ride the coach and say that he's not a good coach. It just might not be the right program for him to be coaching at, right? Like Tim Beck at NC State looks like a great quarterback's coach, but at Ohio State, he didn't, you know? So those things happen, those things happen too. You know, the
0: the amount of nuance in college football specifically, is so mind-blowing to me. Like, the amount I've learned ever since we started doing this podcast, Zach, yeah. well, since I joined, I mean, it's it's unbelievable the amount you're thinking of as a coach and also how much you weigh in culture. And I think that's something that the average fan doesn't necessarily think about because they're yeah. you know, watching the game. You're looking for X's and O's. You're like, oh, how could you drop that? Or why wouldn't you run this? But there's so many layers to the game that I think that, as the average fan, you can learn to appreciate what the coaches are actually doing in the locker room. And from a chemistry standpoint, um, I wish it, you know, I wish as a fan, I had more insight into that. Cause that would let me see how those <laughs> actions actually you know, propagate on the field.
3: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's critical, man. And that's why there's so much, so much that goes into the development of a room. I mean, when urban brought that to Ohio state, that power of the unit, it was all a military model. I mean, all from yeah. straight, I mean, just, Thievery from the Navy (laughs) SEALs. And it's like, and he always said, like, you don't equate football to what the Navy SEALs do. There's nothing that equates to that. But if you're trying to build a team, why would you not learn from the greatest example of a team? Right. And that is our military. And so when he brought that, and really he didn't bring it as a side note, people think he did, but Steve Adazio brought that to Florida uh, as a professional development thing about the power of a unit, right? Yeah. Of how, you, you develop your team, or if you're the O-line coach, your team is your O-line, right? Yeah. And you don't worry about any other team. Let, let them worry about doing their job. We just have to do our job. And I think that it's, it's so powerful. And it, it, it equated to a ton of success for for Urban's program over the years because it was that, you know, stolen from the military. It's just about developing that culture and building your unit room, small group cohesion.
2: Yeah, and that's a, that offers a great transition. I'm glad you brought up culture part though because we're seeing this year um teams that showing up and showing out um that have struggled for quite a quite a bit now specifically i watched that arkansas game and i am left extremely impressed with everything that i saw i don't know too much about their coach but the way the the players carried themselves on the field the way the coaches called the game The entire game they controlled, even when their star quarterback went out, the way they transitioned to that was unbelievable. I haven't seen Mel Tucker at Michigan State, but when you see the results of Michigan State, considering what they're dealing with, you really, again, underline the point of the importance of establishing a culture first. Mm -hmm. Recruiting is what gets all of the, the, the glory in college football because that's what all the noise is around. But if you don't establish that culture first of what your program is going to be and then recruit players according to that and build a program around that, it doesn't matter how talented the players are. You're seeing that um, underlined here.
3: There's no doubt. And I think that's what separates, you know, the the upper echelon. I mean, the Alabama of the world where they recruited a high level like Oklahoma and Clemson, but they have that culture aspect of yep. their program. And that's why they're so much better. Right. Yep. That's what Urban had at Ohio State to an extent. Now, I would say Ryan right now is recruiting at a higher level than Urban was. I just don't know if the culture is the same level that Urban had it. But you're, you're talking about. A team like Arkansas, like you said, they don't have the recruits that Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State have. They have, I mean, don't get me wrong, they still have great players, but just not, you know, seven first-round picks or whatever. Some of these teams pop off every, every now and then, but they have a ridiculous culture. And what they're facing right now is an absolute, like, sacrificial schedule that the SEC gave them. Because I think they're one of the best teams in the country, but yeah. there's no way yeah. that they make a playoff or the SEC championship game. They just their only game that wasn't a road game that was a big game was this AM game that they just won, and it was a neutral site game. They don't even get them at home. They they yeah. still have to go at Ole Miss, um, at So the next two weeks are at Georgia, at Ole Miss, and yeah. then in November at Alabama. Like, come, good God, Jeez. Yeah, like, can crazy. they get anyone at home that's decent? I like think their home te- home games are like Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, like just terrible teams. So cons- it's it's cons- unfortunate because I think they're a solid team.
2: That brings up an interesting question for me. If Arkansas with this tough of a schedule and not being like an Alabama, Ohio State Clemson type of brand, if they finish the season with one loss, considering their brand, do you think they still get into the playoff? A team like uh,
3: that? I mean, they could. I mean, honestly, if you beat if you if let's say they beat Georgia and Ole Miss on the road, lose a close one to Alabama. I don't see how you don't. Only problem being is that Alabama loss will come in late November, so that's obviously late to lose a a game. But but I guess on the flip side of it, if they go at Georgia with the best defense in the United States of America being in Athens, Georgia, if they lose that game and then can bounce back and beat Ole Miss on the road and beat Alabama on the road, I mean, one, they're going to go to the SEC championship game because their loss was to an SEC East team, and they will have swept the West, so that can definitely get them in. I think if they lose a game, and they get left out of Atlanta. Don't get to go play for the SEC championship game. Nah, it's probably tougher with with a less established brand in Arkansas. But it also depends on the landscape. Like what? Look at what's going on right now. I don't know. Notre Dame might go twelve and zero, and Notre Dame is not a good football team. It's no, just not. crazy. They're <laughs> not at all. Usual. As at usual. Just I mean, I'm 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 pretty confident Cincinnati will beat them this weekend, so we won't have to worry about it. But if they find a way to beat Cincinnati, they're going to skate to a twelve and zero season, and it's going to be it's just an embarrassment
0: in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, here I'm rooting for Cincinnati to make that playoff. Yeah. Oh, I would love it. That, yeah, that'd be sick. Um, I I agree with you, Zach. I think uh, Oklahoma will probably lose one. You know, um, I like this guy Rattler, but this was a tight game for them.
3: Yeah, he's he's talented, but he's uh he's a head case. You saw that all the way back in his QB one documentaries. Like he. He's uh he's got a lot a lot of development still left to be had to be a big time quarterback like NFL prospect quarterback. I mean he's got the arm, he's got the talent but when your when your own fans are are chanting I've never for your seen backup, that before. No, I've never. Never, I've never. Never. Like Oklahoma fans are savage. Like yeah. good god. This kid going into the season he was going to be the number 1 overall pick. They were going to win the national championship because of this kid. He struggled a little bit and they're chanting the backup's name. Yeah.
2: I didn't know Oklahoma fans were this savage. I didn't know they had, they had it in
3: them. They've just I'm been not, you know, I'm pretty, so many I'm, times. I'm pretty familiar with a lot of fan bases and a lot of areas in the country, whether it was from my time at Florida or, or recruiting areas. I'm so unfamiliar with Oklahoma. It's yeah. kind of it's a lot like uh, Arkansas when I recruited KJ Hill. Yeah. No idea what I was walking into. And I walked out going, holy shit, that is a different country. That's yeah, not even the United it's States. So different. So, so different. So I, they, they are savage. We've learned that much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but perhaps it's him and not them, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: But you, know, you, make a, you make a good point on culture, too. I mean, it just goes to show that to thrive, especially in this sport, in this country, at this level, you have to be locked down mentally. And, you know, shout out to the coaches that are able to maintain that across the program because that is not easy.
3: You know what, and I, I listened to uh, today, I listened, I, I've never done this till this year, and I started doing it uh, two weeks ago. Now I, I I listen to some of these coaches' press conferences, and most of it is just coach-speak nonsense. Yeah. But every now and then you hear something, you're like, you know what, that's a great point. Yeah. And, and and two things I heard today, one was Matt Barnes, the I don't know what you want to call him at Ohio State, the defensive coordinator, but he's not the title, I guess the play caller. The, the, the defensive play caller at Ohio yeah. State. He made a point, and it's so true, there's no LeBron James, the defense. Like, you can't just have a great player that just dominates one side of the ball. You need 11 guys doing their job. And, and I also listened to Greg Sciano because they're playing Rutgers this week talking about how hard defensive football is because you could play a play great, but if your hand placement's a little off or your pad level's a little, you know, on the wrong half of a body, you know, a whole gap could be open and that, that, that could crease for 70 yards. And it's so true. It's such a, such a hard thing to be to be really, really good consistently with 11 guys needing to do their job that it, you have to have an insane culture. And like you said, uh, uh, Partha, an insane focus, right? The yeah. concerted focus to do your job, you know, flawlessly every time, fundamentally perfect. It's it's a tough sport and, and it takes culture. It does. Yeah. What are you thinking about um, Rutgers? Um, I was, I, they were really impressive against Michigan. I mean, they, they, the second half, they dominated Michigan. And, and I think they just, they were, you know, ran out of gas, not ran out of gas. They just didn't have enough explosion on offense to win that game, but it was a really a stellar performance going into big house and in, in, in what looks like an improved Michigan team. So I think they're going to cause Ohio state some fits. I mean, Greg's been known to do that. Uh, his defense will certainly cause Ohio state some problems. Ohio state is far superior talent wise and it's going to come down to can this defense show up and be in Ohio State at least like in that ballpark an Ohio State type of defense I mean they don't need to be dominant to win this game but if they show up on the bullshit they've showed up on two weeks out of the four this is this could be a dogfight it really could
2: yeah yeah Yeah, and it's also important not to look forward to the following week the maryland game is going to be a tough one we know that's going to be a tough game so it's it's important to not look past rutgers uh, especially with with shiano there and he's going to do everything in his power to make sure he gets a w against ohio state <laughs> so it's it's going to be an interesting week but hopefully hopefully we can handle business um and, and win the game are there any other matchups this weekend that outside of the one that we just talked about notre dame cincinnati that yeah, you're looking looking well, for
3: Arkansas. To. Georgia is going to be a big one. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a huge one because guy. Georgia literally has one of the best defenses I've seen on film in like three years. I mean, just yeah. suffocating, smothering rush defense. I they think they allow like, they fly around, fly around. And around. I mean, I, I think I made the comment to you guys when I watch them on film. The field looks like it's smaller than anyone else plays mm-hmm. on. I, they're just so long and so big and cover so much ground. It honestly looks like. Like they're on a, a smaller field, like there's not as much space, and uh, they're just suffocating. I mean, I think they allow one yard per carry in the run game, and uh, and Arkansas is built, like you said, their culture is toughness and run the ball. And Sam Pittman's done an unbelievable job, and so it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle. It's probably those two games are two of uh, two of the biggest games of the year, and ones that I'm mo- most excited about. is Cincinnati Notre Dame and Arkansas Georgia should be just awesome football games. Yep. And then we have uh, Ole Miss Alabama happening as well. Ole Miss Alabama should be a good one too. Anytime Lane Kiff is going up against his former employer, I am here for it.
2: <laughs> it's gonna be. It's been a shootout. It's gonna be a shootout. I feel like so. Yeah, the, uh, Lane
3: Alabama's, Kiffin knows how to score points. That's for sure. Yeah, and Alabama's defense is is
2: still getting it together this year. Yep. Finally, my favorite topic: uh, Clemson. <laughs> 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 um, Losers again. They haven't looked like even – I'm surprised they're still in the top 25 considering how they've played so far.
3: I thought they fell out. I thought the AP dropped them out of the top 25. They put them at
2: 25. They put them at 25. they got to keep some ACC teams in there, I guess. (laughs) I guess so.
3: And they got Boston College. That's all they need. Yeah.
2: (laughs) What do you do in a year like this? Because, you know, we always talk about this, about how (sighs) Ohio State fans are so spoiled we don't usually we we fall off but we don't fall off like this typically where they still have Dabo as the coach they still have high level talent but this is a terrible season for clemson like as a as a program how does this impact impact a program because it could take one bad year to lose all your momentum
3: well they're they're very fortunate that they are in the ACC. That's all yeah. I say. If they're in the Big Ten or SEC, this would be a brutal year, and it could be a dismantling year where yeah. you—it's really hard to recover from. I mean, they'll probably still go what at worst nine and three. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the ACC is that bad, yeah. so it won't—it won't be as impactful as it would be if Ohio State was down like that or if Alabama was down like that. Yeah. But you know, it's like anything else; they still got great players. Those players will get a year older next year. They're they're a young football team, so they'll probably bounce back next year and have a solid year, and, and it won't affect them long term. The problem comes when you parlay two or three of these together, and all of a sudden you're in a shit show. You're you're yeah, it's like an avalanche. You're sliding down the mountain so fast you don't even know how to stop. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, great point.
0: I mean, you know, as much as I would love to see that for Clemson, you know, we do root for competition here. So
3: <laughs> see if they swing it around, no, then. you you might part of the V does not want competition with Clemson. He if Clemson go zero twelve every year. He would be here for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: funny. I would rather Michigan be good than Clemson. That's how, <laughs> right. that's how bad it is. <laughs>
3: but V is a secret Dabo fan. So yeah, hey, every once in a while,
2: he says some things that I like. You it's just—it's just, just, it's playing just playing hard to filter out it out with the ninety percent of the the bullshit yeah. that comes out of his mouth.
0: Yeah, I would love to see you take over like a really like low end D one school and just take like five to seven years and and get it up to a point where you beat Clemson.
2: Oh, that would be that would be phenomenal. <laughs> Zach would be my offensive coordinator, and I'd let him hire all the assistants. <laughs> I would literally take Zach my proxy
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man zach thank you so much um any any parting notes on uh ohio state or uh, anything you're excited about
3: especially for the weekend um you know what I, i think that this year is more of a growing pain year than people were anticipating but I've seen some good things, right? We have three, three defensive backs that can cover anybody in the country and Cam Martinez, Cameron Brown and Denzel Burke. Denzel Burke is going to be a star. Ronnie Hickman's becoming a really, really good player in that box safety drop down bullet, whatever they want to call him. There's a bunch of D linemen that are hurt right now that should be coming back from injury. So honestly, if we can get the linebacker position playing functionally, I think this defense has a chance to be pretty decent. And then, you know, Ryan's going to figure it out on offense. I think it's, it's only up from here and I, I am seeing some improvement. So I think for Buckeye fans, you know, there's, there's some hope here. One, the whole country's down. That's a good problem. Yeah. And two, I think there are some things being developed and done that might, you might not see on, you know, when you watch the game or in the stat line, but I, I see some positive trending things for the Buckeyes right now.
2: Right. Right. Well, looking forward to it, looking forward to the weekend. Obviously, if you are a sports better, you should be following Menace to Sports (laughs) with the crazy run Zach's on right now. Um, But as always, thanks, Zach. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week.
3: Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boy's podcast.
0: Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear.
1: Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com.
0: All right man what's good bro
1: man
2: been a pretty pretty amazing and interesting week right uh a lot going on both on uh, the, the personal side and the professional side it's been intense on our in some of the deals that we're working on uh together behind the scenes but through that you know i always say that these are the opportunities um, when there's stress and there's complexity, that's the best opportunity for you to learn. Um, and I think you brought up a quote uh, from Naval uh, in one of our conversations that I thought was was pretty fitting to kind of capture capture everything that's going on right now and to open up a good conversation.
0: Yeah. So the quote starts with this concept of a zero sum game versus a positive sum game, and Naval breaks this down, if you ever listen to his writing. So just to give you context, Naval is the founder of AngelList, which is a platform that's used by a lot of entrepreneurs and angel investors to raise money, get into deals. Now they do syndication. So what that means is that if me plus V plus a friend wants to invest in a company, AngelList helps us make the entity and do the investment in a way that's trustworthy. It's a, a nice niche that they fill. And he's positioned himself as a key part of the startup ecosystem as a result. Now, Naval is also a pretty brilliant thinker. The way that he has built his worldviews is uh, not only inspirational to me, but I, I feel like every time I listen, it's just something new that mm-hmm. I take away from it and use to like help myself be a lot happier and a lot more successful uh, in life. And so the concept that he breaks down is... Uh, uh, any sort of situation where there's a finite total supply. So like um, this could be like fame or clout, for example. Yep. Um, there's a finite supply of fame because not everybody can be can just a fever. Just yep. not how that works. And so because there's a finite supply, that would be what's called a zero-sum game, meaning that you can trade fame, people can gain it, people can lose it, but overall the total supply of fame stays the same. Um, a positive sum game would be a game where you can create more of whatever the thing you're measuring is. And one of those things is wealth. So wealth creation is a positive sum game because wealth is not created by buying or selling. It's created by borrowing, where you lend somebody money, you give somebody credit, you're essentially creating wealth in that process, or by creating something that doesn't exist or improving something that already exists. So if you have a you have a car if you buy an old car for a thousand dollars and you fix it up and you sell for three thousand dollars you just created two thousand dollars of wealth you traded in whatever work you put in on the car for that two thousand dollars the whole world is two thousand dollars richer and it's because you chose to take your time and put that work in and increase the value of something so that would be what's called a positive sum game and essentially these are two totally different ways to live life and uh for v and i we've been going through a set of negotiations where in business, we've always tried to lead by creating positive outcomes, positive sum outcomes, meaning that both sides grow as a result of a deal. And what you often find with people who are trained to negotiate through corporate America or through an MBA or through any sort of formal education is they treat everything like a zero-sum game. They will look at a situation essentially tried to take from your side and put onto theirs and yep. you approach any sort of situation where both sides are benefiting with that mentality it's often going to screw things up
2: yep yep 100 100 and i think it's interesting that people think this way right um and and we're trained to think this way it goes back to The famous movie, Wall Street, where they say greed is good, right? Gordon Gecko's famous quote that everybody knows whether they've watched the movie or not, that greed is good, has gone to people's heads. Specifically, when you speak about the world of business and specifically when you get into the worlds of banking and, and private equity and even tech to a degree, it is a competition. People look at it like, if I succeed, somebody else can't succeed. Therefore I have to make sure not only do I have to make sure I succeed in the process I have to stomp out everybody else and it's an unfortunate thing because in that process you get you lose track of the goal the actual goal is to win not to compete with someone else it's to win whatever the goal that you've set for your business is it's to get there and it's it's amazing how many times In business negotiations we've been in, in business transactions we've been in, where I'd say about 90% of people are negotiating from a zero-sum game mentality. Um, And as a result, that's why I personally think why a lot of people or most businesses fail is because of mentality more than it is execution. It, It has more to do with people's mentalities.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I think that it's also important to acknowledge that a lot of the zero-sum games or things we think are zero-sum games are actually ways that everybody can win. There's there's ways everyone can win if you approach these industries in unique ways. And like one of the interesting examples was is pro sports for me because let's use you know a, a basketball team as an example, right? Yep. Yes, there's an overall total salary that an individual team is able to pay per year. So you can say, well, there's only in NBA, like $140, $130 million that they can split amongst the 15 players. So that's a zero-sum game, right? Kind of. Because that amount goes up as you get more viewers into the league, as you get more advertising dollars, as you get more international fans, as you get more ways to monetize. So if you're a player, the way that you earn more it's actually somewhat related to your skill level. You do have to be one of the better people in your position, but a larger factor, that only contributes to how much you get paid relative to other players. But overall, players in general are making a lot more because NBA viewership has increased very drastically yep. over the last you know, 15 years. And so that's the positive sum game outcome of what's going on. And as these players are paid more, they're becoming more visible. They're becoming more prominent in society. And they have more endorsement opportunities and other ways that they can monetize their name and image and build wealth. And so understanding the complete picture is very, very critical whenever you're approaching any sort of business opportunity or any sort of deal situation. Because there's usually a way you can turn a zero-sum game into a positive-sum game. You just get yep. clever
2: about it. Yep. And it goes back to what I was saying. Is it, are you competing? Or are you trying to build a team that's successful? Here is the reality. If LeBron James is on your basketball team, you are more likely to be a winning basketball team to make the playoffs and make more money. So the fact that he's eating up 30 to 40% of your salary cap as a player who's on the bottom side of that, who is good enough to be in the league, but having the self-awareness to know and the acceptance to know LeBron James is the superstar on this team. We, if he's on the team, the success of the team in terms of the actual goal of a basketball team, which is to win a championship goes up. But if you're just thinking about salaries and you're looking at his lifestyle, the money he's making, the things he's doing off the court, and that's what you're focused on. First of all, you're focused on the wrong game. And then the second thing is that for where you're at, you're, You're actually hurting your financial ability because now your team isn't good. There isn't great chemistry. And in addition to that, you might go get, and this happens all the time in sports. A player will leave a team, a very good team, and take more money to go elsewhere. Then they start losing and they're like, damn, the money doesn't make me happy. You know what I mean? I'd rather be making a little bit less, but be competing and winning but it's so hard to stay focused on what the actual goal is. And that's what you mean by a zero-sum game. What is the? You actually have to actually take the time to understand what the game is that you're playing. Yeah.
0: And you know, I think a really good example of what you're talking about is Richard Jefferson and Channing Frye during that last year that they played with LeBron in Cleveland. Because I think everybody knew it was LeBron's last year in Cleveland. I think that these guys knew that they were getting to the end of their run in the league. Plus, they have great personalities. So they built a podcast, leveraged the moment culturally to build a huge following for their podcast because everybody wanted to know what was going on with the Cavs that year. It was an amazing season. And so you got this whole narrative. And up until the point LeBron left, this was the only way to really get the inside workings of that Cavs team. So they got syndicated. They got their partnership with, uh, I think it was, either uninterrupted or Bleacher Report, and now Richard Jefferson does actual commentary on games, right? So through the process, a player who really was at the end of his career didn't have the opportunity to turn himself into a a majorly well-known name through his play, was able to create that opportunity for himself by being clever, finding another way to create value in the situation and created a value that didn't exist. This is the positive sum. He took the information that was happening and made entertaining media and spread it to the world. So other people could engage in this phenomenon that everybody was watching and valuing. And I think that that sort of approach to life is so critical. And obviously gets, you know, under our skin V when we see people make decisions that, Go against their own self-interest because they're not thinking big picture enough to understand yep. how that how everybody can win. They're only worried about how they can win. And when you're only worried about how you can win, you want to beat other people. Usually, everybody loses.
2: Yep, hundred percent. And one other thing with with the Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry thing is self-awareness and self-acceptance. Accepting the fact that you're at the end of your career. Accepting the fact that hey, this is the position I'm in, but it's still a blessing to be on an NBA franchise. Then you can take the next step of, okay, this is the scenario I'm in, and this is how I can create opportunities for myself. You start with understanding the situation that you're in and then accepting it. There's a process of acceptance, but you have to accept it. There's nothing wrong with having big ambition or wanting more than you may have earned or deserve at the time. But the important thing is to actually process it yourself and say, you know what? Am I as good as LeBron? No, I'm not. You know, am I as as young as LeBron? No, I'm not. Or Kyrie. At the end of my career, this is a young man's game. They understood that and they said, okay, let's make sure we solidify a career after basketball for ourselves um, and create cultural relevance for ourselves. Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes are another example of this. You yeah.
0: Know? yeah. I mean, absolutely. And you, you love to see that. And I think, you know, I, I, I reposted this quote that we're talking about and I actually posted, if somebody treats a positive sum game, like a zero sum game run for the hills. And I think that's, that's the real um, kind of crux. I think that we're trying to get to here is that if, you are in a a situation with somebody where you see them acting out of scarcity. You see them acting like there's a finite supply of whatever you're going after. That's not someone you want to spend time with. You know what I mean? Anyone who's calling dibs on a situation, anyone who's like trying to be the first one to get into something because they don't want, you know, they don't want to share the reward. Like these are red flags, like people who negotiate in a way where they're trying to take all of the upside for themselves. Like those people are very short-term partners. The relationships are very transactional and usually they're not meaningful towards your overall success. Usually they're just stepping stones along the way. And it's just a very tough realization for a lot of people to take the time to actually assess whether or not they're operating in that zero sum fashion. And if they are, it's also, to your point V. it takes a lot of self-awareness to admit that to yourself and to say, hey, I think I can look at things differently. And usually that zero sum comes from a place of total fear that you're operating in.
2: Yeah, and we see this specifically focused on in, in, focused on celebrity and entertainment. Um, I think a lot of people, celebrities and athletes, once they make it to a degree of success, they lose sight of how difficult it actually is to get there and how fickle that is and i've always said this specifically in football you know a very much more injury riddled league if you get the opportunity to have the world's attention or have your market's attention take advantage of that don't exercise your power in a way that hey i'm 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 holier than thou now because I'm here at at the mountaintop. And it's like, okay, but your career might only be two, three, four years. And if you are not approaching your relationships or your business partnerships with a positive sum game mentality, you might be sitting on your couch at age 45, wondering what happened to all your money that you made because you don't have new money being generated because when you were at the top, you treated everybody else like shit.
0: Yeah. I remember meeting this, uh, there's this kid I met. He was, uh, the kicker for the Detroit lions. Yeah. And he was also interning at the sports accelerator program that I was going through. So I met him. He introduced himself. He's like, I love your product. You know, we wear it. Like, tell me about how he had heard of us. Cause he's a player. Yeah. And he was also like, I've recognized that during this time in the league, I have so much leverage because who doesn't want to be friends with a pro athlete? Yep. You can literally walk into any room. Like you could be the kicker. You could be the long snapper. You could not play a minute, but if you're on that team, you have that Jersey and you go in that locker room, you have a tremendous amount of hold over what city you're in. And he recognized that and said, I'm going to use this leverage to give myself a wealth of business relationships and connections so that I set myself up for life because I'm going to do well the next few years, but that's not going to take me to where I'm really trying to go, which is establishing a level of wealth that carries generationally through my family.
2: Yeah. And generally those are the people in terms of athletes. Those are the, the, the guys that I like the most, like you said, he's the kicker. He's not the star quarterback. So those guys have seem to have a lot more self-awareness and understanding and acceptance. So therefore, they're able to see the light of what their position is, right? And that way, they're able to see what the actual value of their position is versus pouting about what it isn't. And then the second part of this is with celebrities and stars is they surround themselves with people who are all playing zero-sum games, right? Whether it's agents, whether it's PR people, everybody is trying to eat off of the plate that they are creating. And so therefore, you're trusting these people to seek out situations for you and opportunities for you, thinking that they're working in your best interest, but they're not. They're playing a zero-sum game in which they are trying to feed off of what you've created, Versus actually even thinking, I see this with marketing agents all the time. They aren't thinking bigger. They aren't thinking, how do I leverage my athlete's value? They're just thinking, okay, how do I get the lowest hanging fruit, generate a commission for myself? And what you find out is, specifically in in some of these sports, there are only so many shoe deals to go around. Nike is only going to pay so many people seven figures. Yeah. 95% of the athletes who are sponsored by Nike pretty much just get free shoes, (laughs) you know, getting money from that deal. But when you have every marketing agent thinking that that's where the priority is, because that's the easiest deal to get, playing a zero-sum game.
0: Yeah. Man, I I couldn't agree more. And I think we were talking about it last week too with with the Karen Civil situation. You also see a lot of folks because marketing is such a broad word, you know, yep. it's, it's such a huge category. A lot of folks take on that role of quote unquote marketing agent, like we saw with Karen Civil and Jonah Lucas. They position themselves in a way where everyone has to go through them to get to the person. Yep. And then they don't really do anything. They just yep. want to position themselves like that. They eat off that person's plate a little bit and they just leverage that position to have power that they didn't really earn. And, you know, that's kind of the golden rule of life is that power that is earned through others giving it to you meaning like power you back into or essentially yep. it requires you letting go of control to get it That is yep. earned power and you have learned if you earn power like that society has taught you the lessons required for you to responsibly manage that but if yep. you take power or like through action aim for power that power you're not qualified to use. And every time you use it, it's actually doing negative things in the world. It's preventing progress, it's preventing growth, it's preventing success across the board. And it's it's an important piece of nuance because like a, we, we talked about like a Channing Frye and Richard Jefferson, like where does that platform come from? It's not like they took it. They earned yeah. it by creating great content, by connecting with an audience, by being themselves and being vulnerable. And they did deal with BS when they put it together because of some of the things they were saying. They're just goofy guys that are willing to cross the line a little bit. And some of that stuff got them in trouble early on, but they kept soldiering on. They kept doing what they needed to do. They figured out their lane and it was for a bigger reason. And as a result, we trust them now as people, societally. I trust Richard Jefferson to tell me what it really is when I'm watching a game.
2: Yeah, and in in addition to that, because they weren't competing with others, they became more likable to their peers. Yeah. That's how they get LeBron James, who's one of the hardest gets in the media, to come on their show for free, right? Yeah. Because he understands these are my teammates. They play an important role. It's also the opposite, right? He understands that, yeah, I might be the $40 million man, but I'm still gonna look out for the 12th, 13th, 14th man on the team because that helps the culture of the team. That helps us become a a better organization, a winning organization, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's valuable to understand that it's also, when you're at the top, make sure you're of the organization, make sure you're maintaining your relationships with the people at the bottom of the organization. And, and Muhammad Ali has a famous quote, you know, I'm always quoting Muhammad Ali, where he's like, if I see you disrespecting, disrespecting the waiter, It changes my perception. I'm I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the exact quote, but he's like, that tells me that if I wasn't who I was, you would treat me the same way, Mm -hmm. right? And it's a way for him to recognize recognize people's character. And once you understand people's character, it allows you to then make decisions on, are you going to surround yourself with people who are playing a positive sum game? And if you do, everybody moves forward. The, you know, it, everything moves forward. But if you are getting caught up in your organization in these little bitter little battles between people and between egos and between salaries, everybody doesn't win. Everybody loses.
0: Yeah, that is that is so well said. V. Um, I heard this quote from. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but I thought it was sports related this morning, um, but it was someone saying when I approach a job, I think it was a, an executive or something along those lines. When I approach a job, my first question is, how can I make this organization the most money possible? Yeah. How can I elevate that? And then the second question is, how do I get a piece of that? Yep. And I think that's exactly where a positive sum game works, is that when you come in and you're willing to grow the overall pie, people are more than willing to give you a piece of that pie yep. for your ability to grow it. And that mentality is just so rare today. But what you tend to find in life is that if you, if you focus on growing the pies, your reward is huge relative to if you're transactional and you look to get paid right before you even contribute the work or before you do anything. Um, you're always going to be limited when you're trying to tie an action to a dollar amount. But when you tie value to a dollar amount or to a percentage of that value, your upside is ridiculous and you're able to control the outcome. And to me, that that's the best situation in life is when the outcome is driven by you, especially when you're in that position. That's like, if I'm going to do any sort of deal with another startup or coach somebody, uh, I only want to get paid when they get paid. I don't want to get paid otherwise.
2: Yeah. And, and to bring this conversation full circle, the reason I think we both have a lot of admiration for naval is he actually practices what he preaches in terms of his level of intelligence he could be running a company like elon musk right if he chose to play that game but in a, instead of that he looks at the world as a positive sum game and he is, he understands and has the self-awareness that his most valuable role is as a consultant he doesn't want to do all of that work that a CEO is just so he can have the title and he's probably, he's not as well known. He's known, he's a niche guy, right? He's popular, but he's not, he's not, he's not Gary V for example. Yeah. Right. And he's okay with that. Um, but all of his games, if you look at all of the companies that he has a small piece of that he's making money from and you add those things up and then you combine that with the fact that, He's actually living the life that he's most comfortable living as well. He's playing a very positive sum game because he's playing his game. He's self-aware. And everybody who knows him and who's affiliated with him feels like he's a positive attribute to their life.
0: Bam. And what an amazing and on-point takeaway. Pilot Boys Podcast, as always, be you. You is fly and you is positive. Some
2: stay moving. Holly Boys out. All